You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. So on July 7th, I know that's the same week, you know, 4th of July is right in the middle, so I know that gives us a good enough reason to skip two Sundays, because I mean, it's in the middle, might as well miss them both, right? No. Everyone says, ha, 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 then like looked at their calendar. Um, <laughs> but I really want to encourage you to be here. And beyond that, I believe that God has called us to sponsor 100 children, which means we need more than 100 people here, which means that one friend that you've been waiting to invite, invite them, Right? That one coworker that you don't talk to, talk to them. That person at the grocery store that you see, invite them, right? Bring them to saying, hey, listen, we're trying to do something for hungry children. This doesn't go to me. I don't get anything by this. It doesn't do anything. And it's not like I'm going to bring these hundred into some big, like, like there's a big gathering of pastors. We brag about these things. Like, no. Like this church is much larger than us to do thousands of these. But God has called us to do 100. And that's what I believe for. And we're a generous church. And this, I, I just, can you imagine a world where a hundred children starting on July 8th have now been instilled value because of your sacrifice? A hundred kids. Think of the impact. Think of the eternal impact. Think of generational impact. If you want to make a generational impact, I'm going to encourage you to be a part, be there, invite, because it's going to be good. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> Ooh, I'm I'm excited uh, to to share with you this week uh, in our series. If you've been a part or been with us, we've been in the summer soundtrack series, and I'm enjoying it. I, ha- I had a cold this week, so it's been a little crazy, like not breathing through my nose, and I keep having to randomly go like. Um, so you're just gonna have to deal with me, I guess today. Um, but I feel like I got cabin fever a little bit, so it's just all gonna come out today. Um, but. Uh, I love I love the Psalms. We've been in this Psalm series our second week, and I love the Psalms because I love songwriting. Uh, I'm a songwriter. I love to write songs. I love good songwriters. Somewhere in the depths of the internet is an album that I that I've written with a friend of mine. Just in way deep. Don't dive for it. It's down there. Um, but I love to write songs. I love to write music. Um, I just got to be on this podcast for Tempe with one of the songs that I wrote. And I, I really enjoy that. I enjoy uh, writing music and I enjoy storytelling, right? And that's really what good songs are. Good songs tell stories. Like unless you're Beck, your songs tell some kind of story that makes sense that you can understand, right? Like half the audience got that. That's all right. I'll keep narrowing it down in the references till nobody gets it but me and like three other music nerds. <laughs> but <laughs> we'll get there. Trust me. But I, uh, I, I love songs with good stories. And so it was funny because I was thinking about it this week because I was thinking about Psalms and I was thinking about the backstory of Psalms and I was thinking about some of my favorite songs. So I want to share with you some, some song backstories because I think it provides meaning. How many of you guys have heard the song Jolene by Dolly Parton, right? That's a good song. I like that song. Now, when you hear the song Jolene, it sounds so desperate. Like, you know, please don't take my man, right? It's like crying out, you know, it, it's so desperate. But what's funny is that Jolene was actually inspired by a little girl that she saw in her auburn hair and her eyes and was inspired by this. And it was actually continued as a joke because they had a bank teller at their local bank who had beautiful red hair. And she would joke with her husband, you're spending a lot of time at the bank lately. And so she wrote this song beginning as a joke about how the bank teller jokingly was going to steal her man away from her. So there's Jolene. So it's a little lighthearted. When you hear it come on, it's not that depressing if a redhead has ever stolen your love life. But uh, Landslide by uh, Fleetwood Mac. You guys know that song? I'm gradually, like, bringing it forward in time. Um, I love that song, Landslide. That's so good. People are like, I thought that was a Dixie Chicks song. You're wrong. Um, (laughs) Their version is good, though. I'll, I'll give you that. Um, but it's interesting that Stevie Nicks wrote that about the emotions of traveling on the road and being famous and about how feeling like it could all just kind of like come crashing down and not sure really what represented her because she so quickly went from a waitress to like a superstar. And so it's a song emotionally inspiring about this journey and feeling like 
like the love of her life and the love of what she's doing could kind of just come crashing down. And if you really turn around and saw it, you would see a shadow of who she was. Uh, how many of you guys have heard the song by The Fray, How to Save a Life? That's a really powerful song. That, that's one of the songs that comes on, even though it's older, you still listen to it. Like if it comes on on the radio, you're like, yes. Like every movie from that time used a clip of that song. It's interesting. Um, uh, Isaac Slade, who wrote that song, he actually worked at a camp as a counselor for troubled kids. And so there was a kid at the camp that they would work with. And he was a really troubled kid, and so many people would stay up and just work with this kid and try to speak life into this kid and encourage this kid because he was depressed and suicidal. And so we wrote this song about trying to, to save and how many people were trying to basically kind of write the manual on how to save one of these troubled kids. See, it's powerful. There's something about good songs. They come from powerful stories. They come from good stories. Even funny stories or lighthearted stories. Like a powerful song has powerful context. Uh, one of my favorite worship songs uh, was the song How He Loves by John Mark McMillan. And, you know, he loves us, oh, how he loves Like really famous. And what's interesting is that song was written immediately following the tragic and sudden death of a really good friend of his. And it's like not the context you would think that someone would write that song, right? It's like, that, it's like oh, I thought that came on a prayer retreat. No, it came because uh, a friend of his had tragically died and he was wrestling with the grief. And as he's wrestling with the grief of it, he writes this song about how God is, he still loves us. And he loves me in my mess. And in the original releasing of the song, there's actually a very, very last verse. If you go back in, in his catalog of music and you listen to the uh, uh, early release of it, you hear a final verse where he cries. And he's literally crying as he's singing this verse about his friend who passed away. But he still sings that God loves us. See, it's powerful. It comes from this, this, this context. And can I tell you, that's why I love songwriting, right? That's why well, when you hear songs, there's something that stirs up inside of you. But as you know the story and you know what's behind it, it, it can move something powerful inside of you. It captures emotion. It tells a story. And that's the thing I get fired up when I hear a song or I hear a story or I hear an instrumentation or I hear a line. God has wired us and hardwired us to really link into music. Even people that don't like music, you'll still tap your toe if you hear a good enough beat. Even this morning, my daughter was dancing to a song, her cat keyboard synced up to this other song that I knew. And I was like, I can't believe this is this beat. And we got it going. And we had the cat keyboard and then this other song by The Shoes. And it was just, da 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 You know, it's just in my, in my house. It just stirs something. It moves something. And we were created that way. And we were kind of given this beautiful thing that is praise. And so Psalm 34, if you brought your Bible, you can open up to Psalm 34 today. Psalm 34 is where we're going to be. And Psalm 34, I think, is a song a lot like how he loves. And then if I think you'll understand the context, I think you'll understand how deep and precious this song is. Because it's written just like how he loves as a worshipful response in the middle of suffering to past deliverance. It's a celebration, it's an encouragement, and it's an empowerment. And I think just like the story I told you about how he loves and just like these other songs, it reveals the heart of the songwriter. But in the case of Psalm 34, not only does it reveal the heart of the songwriter, but it reveals the heart of God. And so I want to share with you today a little of the context of Psalm 34, but let's pray, and we're just going to get right into it. Dear God, we thank you that you are here with us this morning. God, I thank you that you are not far, but you are near. You are with us. And God, as we call out to you this morning, as we worship you this morning, God, I just thank you that you are pleased with this assembly. And I pray that as we open your word, that you would speak to our hearts, God, that you would encourage us and strengthen us, and that we would leave inspired to share your word with others. In your name, amen. 
So Psalm 34, if you have your Bible, we're going to read one phrase, and then I'm going to jump all the way back to 1 Samuel. So bear with me um, here real quick. If you have a Bible like my Bible, then at the beginning of Psalm 34 is what is listed as the title. It has no verse reference, but it's the title of the psalm. And the title of this psalm, for me, says this short phrase. Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. And then we go, okay, great. And then we read the psalm. But there's, there's something powerful about this phrase, because this phrase is giving us some biblical context of the psalm. This was to inform our attitude of David when he changed his behavior. So it's a specific time before Abimelech, specific person, so that he, Abimelech, drove him out and he went away. And so I want to give you a little context here of this verse. So it says of David. Now, if you don't know who David is, David, uh, he start, he's a really famous biblical figure. Uh, he's uh, in the lineage of Christ, right? He's part of that promise that Jesus comes through. He's possibly like one of the most crucial uh, Jewish figures in, in, in their history. And David started out as a shepherd. Now, we don't have time to go through all of David's life, but he started out as a shepherd. He was the youngest brother. And when it came time to anoint a king, because the current king named Saul was messing up, the current king of Israel, uh, wasn't walking in alignment with God, uh, God sent a prophet to come anoint a new king. And so they anoint David, the new king. Now, they don't technically tell Saul this yet. <laughs> um, and David goes into the service of Saul. And kind of like, you know, w working in, he would play the harp for Saul, and he would, he would go in the stewardship of Saul. And that's, if you've heard of the story of David and Goliath, this is how David comes into the service of Saul. And so uh, what happens, though, is as David is in, in the service of Saul, because David walks righteously with the Lord, David is in favor. And Saul does not walk righteously with the Lord. Saul is not in favor. And so Saul becomes jealous of David. Right? And so as all good jealous kings do, he tries to kill David. Right? Because if you're the king, the last thing you want is everybody loving someone else more. Right? Right? We elect in someone. Uh, they just come in and it's murder them. I mean, I don't know what the other word than murder is, but coup? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, and so he, he chases David out and, and chases him away. And so David goes out, and David is now on the run. So David had been anointed. He had this promise in his life. He, he, he had been called to be king, but now he's on the run. And so a good amount of the psalms that we get in, in book one in certain uh, parts of the psalm are written while David is on the run. Or they're written about the time where David is on the run. So he goes from the sheepherd to the palace to basically the sheep again, right? He's in caves. He's running and this is kind of where we pick off. And so this psalm was written while David was on the run. So before he becomes King David, King of Israel, before he, he's in this incredible role, right, he is David the outlaw. And this is kind of where we get him in his Wild West posse days. Um, and so what, what's being referred to here, if you have your Bibles you're turned to, if not, it will be on the screen, is what is actually being recorded historically in 1 Samuel 21. So the Bible, if you're, if you're not sure, the Bible doesn't have everything uh, chronologically. You can read the Bible chronologically if you follow a plan. Um, but the Psalms will apply historically to things that happen. So this Psalm is applying to or was written about or during uh, 1 Samuel 21. And this is the context for the story. So I'm going to read you the context. Everyone still with me? If you're with me, say context. Good. That was strong. All right, so let's read together. Uh, I'm going to start in 1 Samuel 21, verse 10. Uh, and we're just going to, we're going to read. It says, And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, is not this David king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? And here is their song. I don't know the beat, so we're going to wing it. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. 
So this is the this is like a, a diss track, but also a celebration. So it's a little unsure. Um, so here's what happens is David flees to Ashish. And you're like, wait, I thought it was Abimelech. How many weird names are we going to get? Well, uh, Ashish is the personal name of the Philistinian king that they're talking about here. Abimelech was like the royal title given to them. So this is the same person. Everyone still with me? So the guy that they're talking about, the king they're talking about, the king that's referred to Psalm 34, that, that he changes his behavior before, this is the guy. Now, why is this a big deal? Well, David is kind of famous for killing Philistines or Philistines, whatever you want to say, right? So if you got really famous for killing Nazis, it would be a bold move to flee to Germany in 1945, right? Like, not only is he famous, like, if you take, he got famous for killing a nine-foot-tall one, right? Like, people would remember that. David and Goliath, if you've ever heard this story, reference the story, David, you know, killed this Goliath in this nation. And so if you got famous for killing the greatest warrior a nation ever had, pick a nation, it doesn't matter. The, you know, 1945 Germany might be too extreme. But any kind of nation you were in war with, and then you fled there, people might have something to say about it, Right? They might even have more to say about it if there was a song about you that's like, you killed tens of thousands of us, right? Like, the border patrol would care, right? Like, you would not get the stamp on your passport if you're like, man, I swear there's a song about this somewhere. Like, you know, Rick has killed ten thousands of Americans. Like, I'm pretty sure you're not getting the stamp, right? And so what happens is he comes into this nation, and the king's officials go like, Damn, this sounds real familiar. Like, we don't speak Hebrew, but I, I, I don't know. There's like a, there's a, it's a catchy tune maybe at the time. Maybe it rhymes to them. It doesn't rhyme to us, right? And so they're beginning to remember. And so here's what it says happens is that, is that they hear about David, and David somehow hears them hearing him. So here's David's response. It says, verse 12, and David took these words to heart. Good call. And was much afraid of Ashish, king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate. What does that mean, made marks? It means to literally make marks, to draw on the gates crazy signs. I don't know what he drew, but he drew on the gate. I don't know what material he used to draw. Use your imagination. What would you use to draw on a gate if you were pretending to be crazy and just get there mentally? Right? And it says, and let spittle run down his beard. Now, I tried this when the girls weren't home. How long you have to let your mouth hang open before drool starts coming down your beard? It's a while. It's a while. Uh, it takes a little while. And so I can imagine the scene now where David, who was supposed to be the anointed king, who finally his last resort, I mean, think about you know you have nowhere to go. When you go to the people that you have recently killed thousands of, right, that's how you know you don't have friends, like, some of you are like, I don't have any friends because you just haven't actually talked to anybody in church in a couple weeks. But, like, he had nobody. Like, and he's, he had so few friends that he went to the nation where they sang songs about him killing them. That's where he goes. And he gets there, and they realize him. And think about this. He's like, well, man, they're going to think it's me unless I just go bananas. Right? Like, he doesn't, like, dye his hair. He doesn't, like dress up differently. He's like, what if I'm just so crazy that they can't imagine it's me? Like, I'm saying this to just tell you how bananas David would have had to look, right? Because in an honor culture, they would never expect somebody to demean themselves this much, right? Where he is so low. I say this because he is so low. See, some people say he acted crazy and that's what got him out of it. No, he acted crazy and that was just him acting crazy. God gets him out of it. That's what he testifies to. He acted crazy so he didn't get caught. But he was still there, I don't know, sitting at the gate. We're going to say mud for the sake of being in church. And he's drawing on the gate. Who knows? Like, the world is ending. 
just crazy numerology or something. I don't know what crazy people draw. I don't know. Go on Facebook later. You'll find out. And just drawing and the drool and the spit, and he's in this place. And this is where David, it says, is writing the psalm. Amen, baby. He's writing this on when he changed his behavior. It's not like he had a bad day and changed his attitude. It was like he changed it. He went crazy. He lowered himself so low. And I can't even imagine how humbling this is. I mean, when I read it at first, I wondered, like, well, I wonder if it's just because he knew there was no one around. Like, there's no other Israelites here. It's kind of like how some of y'all dress on vacation. It's like no one's here. Might as well dress like this. Like, I was just on vacation. Some of the things people wear, I'm like, man, hope none of your friends are here. Like, that is not a swimsuit. Uh, <laughs> man. Um, uh, and, and he's just there at this, at this humble and in in this low moment in his life. And this is where we know from the psalm that we're going to read, he cries out to God. So keep this moment in your mind because this is the moment that he's recalling. And what happens is, it says verse 14, Then Asher said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Then we're told in chapter 22, this might not be on the screen, but I'm going to read it to you anyways. It says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brother and, his, and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to them. And this is verse 2. This is cool. Listen to this. And everyone who is in distress, and everyone who is in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to them, to him. And he became commander over them, and there were with him about 400 men. 400 men in a good mood or a bad mood? Bad mood. Right, So David flees from this place, and gathering around him are 400 men who were either in debt, meaning they owed somebody, and so they were either going to go to debtor's prison or be uh, stuck in servitude or something, or, or people that were of broken spirit, or, you know, all kinds of things, right? Basically, the brokenhearted. And the outcast. So as David was an outcast, 400 people gathered around in this cave, in this place, because they heard about him. And I want us to imagine for a second that David, as he's been rescued by God, he's still running from Saul. I mean, where do you go after you went to the place you went to because you had nowhere to go? Right? And so David is at a low point, but in this moment, all these people begin to gather around him because he's been delivered. And so there's something special there. And so as they gather around, David sits down in front of them, I, I, I imagine, and he kind of pulls out, you know, this, this lyric sheet he's been working on and hopefully writing in pen or something. And he pulls out this lyric sheet and he says, hey, I... I want to share with you a song that I've written. And there's something important, I think, about that in that moment of it becomes intimate and it becomes real. Is he begun, begins to share this psalm of Psalm 34. And the message of Psalm 34 is this. God has been faithful. God is faithful. And God will be faithful. And so I want you to picture in your mind, if you can, a man who has recently spent time acting insane in the worst place that you can imagine and has now fled. And now 400 bitter, exhausted, frustrated, broken people have gathered around. And David begins to say, come praise the Lord with me. They're like, now you're acting crazy. But I want to read this psalm in light of this context because I think if we can begin to understand in light of this context, we can begin to see how it informs our current behavior and our current hope. And David writes this psalm to say God has been faithful, God is faithful, and God will be faithful. Are you still with me? All right, so if you still have your Bibles on Psalm 34, go ahead and skip there. Psalm 34, 1 through 3, this is the intro 
the, the crowd catcher. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. This is cool. He, remember, he had just been drawing on the gate, drooling from his beard, fleeing from uh, Ashish, you know, Abimelech. He's been gathered around with 400 people. What does he tell the broken people? It's not like, yeah, man, be sad. Yeah, no, you don't have to get into worship because I understand you're going through things. He goes, let's praise the Lord together. Echo, echo, echo in the cave that we're in because we can't be with our family, right? He's like, let's pray. This is the first song of worship that you skip because you don't want Jana to tell you to shout out loud, right? But this is the praise song. But, but, but I love this song. It, first of all, this is just good songwriting because it draws people in, right? This is, this is the biblical equivalent of just a small town girl. Like there's something inside you that has to say that, like next line. And you go home, you're just like eyes twitching until you, you're going to have to go home and listen to that on the way until lunch, right? Because you're like, I can't just get one line, right? This is the song equivalent is he's drawing people in. And so what you least expect for him to say is I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise is going to be forever on my lips. Like just from there, he came from there. Always, all times, I'm going to exalt the God. Let's exalt him together. 400 people. <laughs> but he's drawing them in. And he's inviting the audience into one clear truth that he's going to share with you. God has been faithful. And there is power in our life when we praise past deliverance. He says, when I... Was lost, I cried out. Here, verse 4, follow with me if you're in your word. It says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear them and delivered him. See, this is the pattern. I was lost, and I cried out. Remember, he's not talking theoretically. He's talking to 400 broken people, and he's saying, listen, I was recently, as in previously, as in yesterday, lost and cried out, and God delivered me. This is the pattern. I'm recalling what God has done so that you can hear. See, this is the thing about life. Anxiety for our future comes from forgetting the past goodness of God. See, we spend so much time worrying about the future. And we spend so much time worrying about the future that we forget about our past deliverance, our past provision, our past freedom, our past grace, how God has rescued us in the past. It's like, yeah, God, I know you created all the earth and you sent your son and you saved me, but you can't help me with $100. I mean, surely not. You can't, you can't heal me. You can't rescue me. And God's like, wait, 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 wait. Don't you remember who I am, what I've done? You know, we give the Israelites a hard time, but I just, like, identify with the Israelites so tough. Right? It's like they, God saves them miraculously. They have seen fire rain from heaven. Like, rain fire. I mean, I lived in Arizona for three years, and if any place was going to rain fire, it would be here. And I've never seen it. But if I did, I'd probably remember <laughs> but I identify because as soon as they get out of slavery and face the first adversity, they get to, they've seen it rain fire. They get to a body of water and they go, great, we're dead. We're all going to die. Thanks, Moses. Jerk. Should just let us be slaves. Now we're going to die. It's like they were not, they were like afraid of horses. Horses, guys. Horses. Armies. Because they get to the, and they face the adversity and they go, oh, we're going to die. And then they get through the water, God parts the water, and they go through the water. And I go through the water because God parts it because he's faithful. And I walk through the water, and then I get to the desert. Because, of course, there's desert on the other side of the water. They would have known that. And they get to the desert, and what do they say, Exodus 13? If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat by pots of meat and ate our fill of bread. But you have brought us into this desert, the star of the whole assembly, to death. And we're like, ah, dumb Israelites. But that's me, hands down. Like, God leads me through a parted Red Sea. I get to the next thing, and I'm like, why have you brought me to this? 
my slavery, I had meat. Like, like do y'all not remember slavery? Like, I'm, I'm studying the Haitian Revolution right now. And I, I, I'm fascinated by revolutions. It's how my brain works. And I've gone through a couple. And I'm on the Haitian one right now. And it's interesting because Toussaint Louis Vature talks about, he sends a message back to France saying basically like, for those who have tasted freedom, they would sooner taste death than slavery. Right? Because if you've been a slave then there's not a chance you're going to choose to go back to slavery. Because I've never been a slave or wandered in the desert, but I'm going to hazard a guess that wandering a desert is better than being a slave. But how quickly can we forget that the God that redeemed us can also provide for us? Right? The God that saved us and rescued us out of our slavery, uh, rescued us out of our slavery to sin and has given us eternal life is the same God who can heal us, who can change us, who can restore us, who can provide for us, who can care for us. It's the same God. And the, and the cry of our heart and remembering that I sought God and he delivered is to remind myself I sought God and he answered me. And if he can do it then, he can do it now. See, if I'm just always looking forward and I don't remember how God restored and renewed and encouraged me, then every new thing I face is going to seem so dramatic. But if I go, God was faithful, God was faithful, God was faithful, God was faithful, then I, my result and my logical conclusion is God is faithful. And he will be faithful. And so what primes the pump of faithfulness in the future is remembering and praising God's goodness in the past. That's why we sing the goodness of God. You might not feel like you're in a good situation, but God is still good, has been good. His salvation for you is still good. If you feel like you're struggling with future anxiety, my encouragement to you is going to be this. Praise God for the past deliverance you've received. This is why we need to testify. This is why we need to share testimony. Is because it not only reminds others, but it reminds you not of what you've done. Your testimony is not about what you've done. I did this and this and this. Your testimony is about what God has done. God has done this. And if God can create the heavens and the earth, if God can send his son to defeat death, hell, and the grave, if God can meet me where I was at when I was lonely and trapped in sin, and he can redeem me and he can rescue me, then surely he can be faithful today. Amen. Amen. Somebody get fired up that God is good. And I love this verse, Psalm 34. A uh, uh, friend of mine named his church after this verse. He has since long moved on. But uh, verse 5 says, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This always reminds me of Moses on the mountain. Moses, if you don't know, uh, when he was leading the Israelites, again also in the desert, again also whining, again also totally like me. Uh, Moses goes up into the high, to the mountain to meet with the Lord, and, and, and he has an encounter, and his face is, is radiant. And I love that imagery of a radiant face. And, and hear me, church, can I tell you, if God delivered you from the sin, then he already delivered you from the shame. Hear me, this is so important for you to hear. If God delivered you from the sin, he delivered you from the shame. The only person that, that I mean, if you want to still hold it, you can, but it's not worth it. He already delivered you from it. You had a chain on your right foot, sin, and an attached ball and chain of shame, and he broke both of them, and he released you. And when he looks at you, it's, our faces are radiant. You know, that, that word is found again in Isaiah 65. It describes a mother's face lighting up at the sight of her kids. It's delight. It's joy. See, God is not an I told you so God. God is not a condemnation. There's no condemnation through Christ Jesus. God is a radiant God. Hear me. Your past should be your testimony. It's only a chain if you lock yourself in it. Right? Your past is only a ball and chain if you choose to lock yourself into the shame that comes from it. But if you're released from it through Christ Jesus, if you praise God for your past deliverance, if you testify, I was broken, I was ashamed, I was sinful, but God freed me, but God released me, then you're free, not only from the mess, but from the chains of shame in your life, and you have a testimony. And hear me, church. I believe in a church that testifies to the goodness of God. That's why, man, if you can show up early to worship, show up early. 
Get up 10 minutes early. Get your kids 10 minutes early. Get here early and testify to the goodness of God. You're like, well, I don't know what that means. Testify to it here in your heart. Say, God, I remember that you were faithful and you will be faithful again. Second thing that David begins to share is that God is faithful. David begins to speak to these 400 people and he begins to say, pursue present, meaning current presence of God. Pursue the presence of God. Psalm 34 verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blesses the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Taste and see, it means here, determine through experience that God is good. It's more than a nibble. It's a big taste. This is not a Costco sample where you pretend like you're going to buy it. This is a big old eating challenge burger where you're diving into it. Taste and see. How do you taste? I, I've heard this quote before. The faith is the soul's taste. They who test the Lord by their confidence always find him good and they themselves become blessed. Put your faith in him. Trust in him. Dive into him. Get into his presence. Spend time with him in his word and in prayer. See, in the things that we face in day to day, we do not need fast food faith. You don't need casual spirituality. You might have a shirt that says spiritual gangster, but you better be ready to go to on a turf war against the enemy. Like, you better not just have the shirt, you better have that written on your soul that you are ready to do battle for the kingdom because we face real things in our life. And you don't need the McDonald's of spirituality, you need the fat and rich food. I need the good stuff, I need the energy, I need the power. I was just watching the World Cup and they just run and run and run and I guarantee you they are not pounding Twinkies before they go run out onto the field. They are eating healthy, good stuff and that's the presence of God. You can get into the presence of your TV. You can get into the presence of your casual friends. You can get into the presence of all these other things, but they will not satisfy your soul like the presence of God. When you get into the word of God, Psalm 63 says, for I have beheld you in your sanctuary and seen your power and glory. So I know that your steadfast love is better than life. My soul is satisfied as with the rich and the fat food. I delight in you, God. We need to feast in the presence of God. This should be, man, can I tell you our mission really to, have, to, to this church and to this city and, and our desires that everyone would experience the freedom and power of a new life in Christ. And that moment, one of the best places you can experience that is at presence night. You need intentional time. I need intentional time to get into the presence of God. And he says, those who do, they don't hunger like the young lions, but they lack no good thing. And that, that phrase messes people up, but I, I love this trap set about Paul, is that Paul had nothing and yet possessed all things. I was just talking to my sister Paula, and she, and she loves Paul. I feel like that's, I just realized that your name is lined up. It's been like three years. Um, <laughs> but I was talking to my sister Paula, and we were over at her house, and she was talking about Paul was a strong man, and Paul was stoned, and he just rose up out of the pile of stones. They gather around, pray for him, he rose up, and he walked out, and he kept preaching, and he kept going, and Paul was strong, and yet when you were look at Paul the outside, you would assume he didn't have any good thing, and yet Paul said, I lack no good things, because I'm constantly in the presence of God. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Here are the things that Paul, who was stoned to death and came back up, here's something that Paul said. Read with me, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 32. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things. See, God desires to pour out his spirit upon you when you get into his presence. And it reminds you, God, you're faithful. God, you're good. God, I might be in it, but through you, I can do all things. Through you, I can do all things, not by my strength, but by your strength. I must become less and you're going to become greater. Doesn't mean you won't face difficulty. It just means you won't face it without the power of God. And that sounds like a pretty good bet to me. 
But you get to face power. You get to face sickness. You get to face trial with the power of a healing, mighty, moving God. And so David sits down and he looks at the 400 people in front of him who are broken and who are in need. And he says to them, listen, I was lost. I was trapped. And hear my song. And he sings a song to them. But God was faithful. He has been faithful. And God is now faithful. And they look at the cave and they think, how could this be? We're in a cave. We're not in our houses. He says, no, God is still God. God is still faithful. Your surroundings don't dictate God's faithfulness. God is faithful. God is faithful. And the third and final thing is that God will be faithful. God will be faithful. Psalm 34 verse 11, it says this. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many good days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. See, David changes his tone here. And you got a picture. He's with these people. And they're all kind of rabble. And they're all kind of outlaws. And we don't know how they got there. But he begins to instruct. And he says, when we walk faithfully in God's presence, our future anxieties are diminished. Hear me, when you walk faithfully in God's presence, your future anxieties will be diminished. You have anxiety because you still think you have control. If you were to let go of control and get into the presence of God, you would let go of anxiety. But as long as you hold on to control, you will hold on to anxiety. And you say, that's not true, and I'm going to tell you, you are wrong. You say, well, that's not how it works. I'm going to hold on to some control. Then you will hold on to some anxiety. If you have one chicken pox or a hundred chicken pox, do you still have the chicken pox? Yes, you still have something, a part of you that you have not released and been healed of. You need to be healed of being a control freak so that you can be healed of anxiety and let it go. And you can start hanging out with people, be free and be released. That's what happens when we walk faithfully in the presence of God. Why? Because when we walk with God, he lights the path. Psalm 119, 102 through 105 uh, says this, I do not turn aside from your rules for you have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. David is saying, and he begins to say, here, God cares for the righteous, those who are walking in the path. He's not going to lead you off a cliff. Psalm 34, uh, verse 15, he says, the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Band, you can come up. It says the Lord is near the righteous. You know, under the law, this meant you had to do a certain amount of sacrifices. Righteousness was about what you did. Righteousness was about what you earned. Righteousness was about the rules you follow and the sacrifices that you made. But can I just say, I'm so thankful that we live after Jesus died and was resurrected and ascended to heaven. And we're told in 2 Corinthians 5 that God made him who had no sin, meaning Jesus, to be sin for us, meaning us, so that through him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That we receive a righteousness that comes from Christ. I don't think you got that in, in your brain or else it would have just changed your life. Uh, and I guess I'll say it again. See, we're, we, need, we, we need to all just shake it out for a second because we got, we got too plain. We got too white in here. Come on. <laughs> you shake it out. Your teachers told you you couldn't say anything. But that should have just changed your life right there. God made him who had no sin to be sin for you so that through him... You can have the righteousness of God. Amen. That means your righteousness comes from Christ. And if God delivers the righteous and your righteousness comes from Christ, that means who does God deliver? You. You. You're like, well, I don't know if I deserve it, so I'm not in that category. You can't count yourself out if you follow Christ. 
You don't get to opt out of the goodness of God. God is still good. God is still faithful. God is still righteous. And under his blood and his covering, paying for your sins, you receive the righteousness of God. You receive the promised Holy Spirit. You receive the freedom. You receive the power that comes through him. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work up for it. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to have a certain charisma. You don't have to have a certain style. You get it because he loves you. You get it because he loves you. And you get it because he's faithful. And the word says he's so faithful that even when you're not faithful, he's still faithful. Somebody make a noise that you believe that this morning. I'm going to shake you so that you believe it. Because if we believed that God was still faithful, it would change the way that we lived our lives. Because we would live with a freedom and a power like never before. We would live with the freedom in our life. We wouldn't be the generation that is so medicated they don't even know what to do with us. We would be the generation that is free in the power of Christ. I'm not anti-medication. I'm just pro-freedom. I'm not, I'm not anti-you if you have depression. I just believe in freedom for you. I'm not here to shame you if you're under oppression. I'm here to release you by the power of the blood of Jesus that sets you free. You're not here to be condemned. You're here to be released. Amen? And so David writes this psalm. Bon Jovi said, this is not a song for the brokenhearted. I'm here to tell you this one is a song for the brokenhearted. Then he writes to his people and he says, look, guys, we're in a cave. You know what these men become? Mighty men the mighty men, follow me. When they began to testify about the deliverance of God, bandits, <laughs> no-gooders, outcasts, losers, you know what they end up becoming? Mighty men and women. Mighty, 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 mighty. Why? Because they just got it together and they were like, hey, we're super good at beating people up. No. <laughs> They became mighty because they began to testify. And they walked into future battles with the remembrance of the deliverance of the past. And they said, if God has been faithful, then God is faithful, then God will be faithful. In my life, in your life, in your friend's life, in your, I, I believe that for this church. And so he writes this end of the psalm. He says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Meaning, guys, we're going to face some stuff, but God delivers. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Afflictions will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. But the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Which means, when you run to me because you're weak, I will not put you down. I will make you mighty, and I will send you back out. And God, David writes a God-inspired song of hope right here that says to us, God has been faithful. Some of you need to remember that today. God is faithful. Some of you need to stand upon that today. And God will be faithful. Some of you need to speak that over your life today. I'm going to invite you. Would you stand with me this morning? a couple responses and then just some worship response time because I really believe in the opportunity to prayer and to movement too because honestly if I could project anything about the church it would be just like the stifling nature of being stuck in your seat and quiet like I just sometimes just want to rip out all the seats just for the heck of it just to kind of release us from like our pews like we threw away pews years ago but they're still here in our hearts anyways But I want to give you a response this morning because some of you, I believe that God wants to remind you of past faithfulness. You're facing some future anxieties, some future things. And you know what? You don't need to get amped up for those. You just need some spend, to spend some time in the presence of an almighty God and have him remind you, hey, remember when I was faithful? I'm still faithful. Remember when I saved you from your sins? I can still deliver you. Some of you this morning, you're in the middle of something, and so you just need God to speak encouragement to your heart and remind you that He is faithful right now in this place. He is faithful. And some of you have never given your heart to the Lord. You've never chosen to follow Him, so you're about to step into the future 
with no reference for past salvation. God wants to give you a reference point this morning to say today is the day. This is your one day that you've been waiting for to choose to follow Christ. So we're going to start right there this morning. If that's you, every eye closed, every head bowed this morning. We serve a faithful God. See, God hasn't been far from you. He's been pursuing you. You didn't know this, but he's been pursuing you because he deeply loves you. And maybe you've experienced religion in the past, and so you think there's something you're going to have to do today to earn it. But can I tell you, he already gave it to you because he loves you. You're like, I don't know if I deserve it. It doesn't matter. He loves you. You deserve it. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. There's nothing you can do to earn it. He loves you. But our sin separates us from God. And so Jesus came as the perfect sacrifice to take the weight of our sin, our debt upon himself so that we might be washed clean and covered by the righteousness of God so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, he sees the righteousness of God so that for all eternity we can be with God, not because we are perfect, but because Christ was perfect and paid the debt for us. And so we not only are released eternally from sin and shame, but right now, right here in this place. And so with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you have never made the decision, and this morning for the first time, you want to make the decision to begin to follow Jesus. You say, I'm going to give my life to you and begin to follow you. I want release from all sin and shame. I want to walk in the hope that comes from you, Lord God. If that's you this morning, I want you to just lift up your hand. Would you just leave it up for a brief second? we thank you. Actually, you know what? We're going to do this. We're all going to pray together. And these aren't magic words, but I want to pray together as a, as a form of unity. And if you prayed this, I just believe in a good, this is a good uh, moment for you, a monument moment to say, God, I choose to follow you. So just repeat after me. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for dying for me, taking my sin upon the cross for rising again, bringing new life. I repent of all my sins. I receive your love today. And I give my life to follow you from this day forward. Strengthen me as I walk in the way. Amen. Can we celebrate this morning, those that raised their hand? Amen. Well, hey, this morning, I'm, I'm going to give you a response moment here. We're, we're still in this mode. I know we're kind of coming to the end, but I'm going to give you a response, and, and it's this. And if this morning you, you really need God, you're, you're facing maybe future anxieties or future things to come or uncertainty in your life, and you just need God to remind you that he is faithful and just restore that. I just, I want to pray for you very specifically this morning. And so I'm just going to invite you. If that's you, could you just come forward so I can pray for you this morning uh, in this place? Just come right up here and I'll pray for you. I'll give you a second. If that's you, you're saying, facing some future things. And I, I, I just want prayer this morning. We're, we're going to kind of stretch our hands out just a moment.